past. Right now, you just settle our hearts and, and Lord, open our ears and uh, our eyes and help us to see. Lord, help us to uh, receive from you right now. And even though this is a portion of Scripture that gets often ignored in the church and the portion of Scripture as we go through this, that uh, seems to be irrelevant to a lot of people, we know that we can make application tonight. And Lord, we can come out here blessed and, and knowing how it is that you desire for us to walk in holiness. And so, Lord, we give you this time again for you to teach us through your Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And so as we continue uh, here in Leviticus chapter 20, we do read, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Again, you shall say to the children of Israel, Whoever the children of Israel or of the strangers uh, who dwell in the land, who gives any of his descendants to Molech, he shall surely be put to death, and the people of the land shall stone him with stones. In verse 3, I will set my face against that man and will cut him off from his people because he has given some of his descendants to Moloch to defile my sanctuary and to profane my holy name. And if the people of the land should in any way hide their eyes from the man when he gives some of his descendants to Moloch and they do not kill him, then I will set my face against that man and against his family and I will cut him off from his people and all who prostitute themselves with him who commit harlotry with Moloch. And so as we enter into Leviticus chapter 20, it's kind of, uh, as we continue from chapter 18, dealt with a lot of the laws uh, concerning uh, sexual immorality, mor- morality, uh, that was uh, something that was very much emphasized to uh, the children of Israel from the Lord. As we saw that the Lord said, tell the people that they're not going to get involved uh, with the activities, the immorality that the Egyptians were involved in, which you came from, and then the Canaanites are involved in, which you are going. You're going into the land of Canaan. And remember that God is preparing his people. They're a nation right now. But he has said to them, I have separated you to where you're not going to be like the Canaanites. When you go into Canaan, those who are going to be practicing immorality, you're going to see those who are going to be practicing false religion and false worship. So you are to separate yourself from all of that. So that's why he is giving these spiritual laws, these ceremonial laws. We also saw that he is preparing them for when they go into the land, that they're going to be planting vineyards, they're going to be doing other things, uh, working the land. And it's a way that this is how you govern yourself. This is some of the civil regulations that I'm giving to you. This is the way how you're going to provide for those who are poor, you don't glean all of your fields, but leave the corners of the field. All these things that the Lord is spelling out to them and, and giving guidelines to the judges and to the elders. And so in chapter 18 and 19, that's what we looked at over the last couple of weeks. And now in chapter 20, as we go through this, we're looking at the penalties for breaking those laws. And of course, as we see this, that the penalties were very severe. And it first starts out with the worship of Moloch. And the worship of Moloch was something that the Canaanites did. And they actually, in that worship, what they would do is they would offer their children in the arms of Moloch and sacrifice their children. And so, sad enough, when you, when you read this, you think, well, of course, we would never want to do that, to sacrifice our children to the false god of Moloch. You would think that the children of Israel would understand that. Um, but one of the things, sadly, what happened was, even as great as Solomon was in, in having godly wisdom, he was one that ended up, as you read First Kings chapter 11, that they would set up a, a place of worship and build even a temple to this idol Moloch. 
And, and he would do it because of all the wives that he had. He had a thousand wives and concubines, starting with uh, marrying Pharaoh's uh, daughter, uh, uh, Pharaoh of Egypt. And, and what happened over time is he began to, to compromise. He began to get involved with those false gods because a lot of those wives and concubines would come from foreign nations. And so he began to appease them and began to get involved in their false gods. So here in 1 Kings chapter 11, we see that Solomon, here's Solomon known for his godly wisdom, isn't he? And here's a man that constructed the temple and dedicated the temple and gave that wonderful prayer about, Lord, if we turn our backs on you, if we turn away from you and and speaking about, Lord, keep us from that. But Lord, if we do, how judgment would come. He understood God's wisdom and God's word. And he was known for great wisdom, which shows me that having godly wisdom is not just knowing the word of God, but having it worked out in your life, isn't it? It's having it worked out as you walk in obedience in your life because there are people that they have a lot of head knowledge about God's word, but it's not being worked out in their lives. They're not walking in obedience. They're ignoring that. So to walk in true godly wisdom is one who has a heart for the Lord, who's desiring to walk in obedience for the Lord and, and towards the Lord. And so Solomon, he compromised that and began to get involved in those false idols and worships. That's why when you see... When you go through First Kings and, and uh, when you go through particularly First and Second Chronicles, which deals with uh, specifically the kings of Judah down south, that they would compare those kings to David. You know, he did not do what was right and did not do by the way of David. Or this was a good king who did by the way of David. They were lined up with David because David had a heart after God. It wasn't in that that David was perfect. We know that David committed some serious sin. I mean, he committed sin, adultery with Bathsheba. He committed uh, sin in, in uh, having her husband murdered. And we're going to see as we go through this chapter that that was punishable by death. But David was one. He never bowed the knee to an idol. And that's why they compared the other kings to David. Solomon did. Some of the other kings did. Some of them were good kings. And so here was Solomon that did Ahaz. We talked about Ahaz on a Christmas Eve service. You remember in Isaiah chapter uh, 6 that there was Ahaz that uh, was upset because this attack was coming against him. And so the promise came to Ahaz that God's going to show you a sign that behold that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and his name shall be called Emmanuel. And so that promise given to him that Ahaz was not a good king. He was a very wicked king. And he was one, as we know, that didn't trust the Lord. And he also uh, would give his own son to Moloch, as you read in Second Kings chapter 16. It was the house of Israel up north that, that practiced worship of Moloch. And we also know during the days of Manasseh, Manasseh ruled for like 55 years there in Judah. And he was one that offered his son to Moloch. So here we see that, that it was practiced by the children of Israel and they uh, were disobedient to what the Lord had said. Also notice here that capital punishment that the Lord says back in ancient Israel during this time was by stoning. They, they would stone them. And uh, that was the method that Israel used. And you see it even clear up until the time where the first Christian was martyred, Stephen, in the book of Acts, chapter 7, that he was stoned. And I want you to keep that in mind because during the time of Jesus, when Rome came in um, right before Jesus was born and and they would uh, take over and rule over Israel, what they did was they took the sovereign right of Israel to, to administer capital punishment. 
And that was a big blow to the sovereignty of Israel because they really legally could not administer capital punishment by stoning. Now, they would do it at times, as they did in Acts chapter 7 to Stephen. They took Stephen out and they stoned him. They they wanted to stone the woman who was caught in a very act of adultery. You recall in in John chapter 8, they said, Teacher, uh, she has committed adultery. He caught her in a very act. We'll mention this in just a little bit, what the Pharisees were uh, referring to here in the law. But she is to be stoned. What thou... What does thou say? And so we know that they were ready to stone her. They had rocks in their hands. So there were times where the Roman authorities, and especially as you read some of the the writings of Josephus, that he gives indication that they would kind of turn their backs and let the Jews deal with their own matters and religious matters. But when it came to Jesus, because Jesus uh, was so popular, because he came into Jerusalem, and because the Pharisees and the religious leaders feared the people, and because uh, the people, some of them, had really turned towards Jesus, they weren't going to dare take that into their own hands and have an uproar in the city. So what the Pharisees did is they took, as he went on trial, Jesus, before Annas the high priest, and then before the Sanhedrin council, then they would pass him on to, to Pontius Pilate. Pilate to have him crucified and crucifixion by Roman method uh, that was their method of execution so here we see again that the Lord calling the children of Israel to holiness don't get involved with false worship the worship of Moloch so we go through this chapter and once again we're reminded as we uh, continue here that there is that privilege of holiness that is When we talk about holiness as a Christian, and God has called us to holiness as Christians, that it begins inwardly. And I think it's important for us to keep in mind what we discussed in Matthew chapter 23 when Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and the scribes, and he called them hypocrites because they were like whitewashed tombs. They were outwardly full of, uh, you know, like a polished tomb. And they would polish those tombs where they looked very beautifully um, beautiful. But it would be, you know, the external appearance that was beautiful, but inwardly they were full of dead man's bones, those tombs. And that's what Jesus compared the Pharisees to. You see, holiness begins inwardly. It begins with a heart towards the Lord and loving the Lord and desiring to live for the Lord and please the Lord with your life. Desiring to be one that says, Lord, I love you and I want to walk with you and I want to please you. It's not just external, always focused on, you know, uh, there are those who say, well, holiness is what you wear, how short your hair is, all these other things. We're not just to be whitewashed, poly, uh, whitewashed tombs, but inwardly giving your heart to the Lord, loving the Lord, desiring to walk with the Lord, then all that other stuff will take care of itself. And so we read it as we continue on in verse 6, And the person who turns the mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. Consecrate yourselves and therefore and be holy, for I, the Lord your God, and, um, and you shall keep my statutes and perform them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And so here, um, again, don't get involved in the occultic and uh, kinds of practices. Uh, as Christians, we're not to deal with, we're not to associate with those kinds of things. And unfortunately, sometimes Christians get really interested in mysticism. They get interested in occultic and um, New Age kinds of practices and things that take place. And uh, especially this time of year, you'll see advertisements going around about big psychic fair that goes on in Denver and come down in New Age practices. 
And so the Bible is very clear that we're to stay away from that. And the reason to stay away from that because it is false and it's deceptive. And behind a lot of those things are demonic forces. And that's what we need to keep in mind. There was a, a, a gal that uh, years ago when we first started the church that was coming and all of a sudden she got involved in tarot cards. And she really, you know, she'd come to me and say, this is really fascinating. And what she ended up doing is really getting into that and, and reading her tarot cards. And so every morning, that's what she did. Instead of reading her Bible, she was involved in that. And, and so Christians can get sucked into those things. And the Lord says, no, you're not to have anything to do with that. And so, uh, again, we're to stay clear of them. I can't help but think when Paul the Apostle, there in Acts chapter 19, you recall that he was in the city of Ephesus and he had great success in bringing the gospel there to where the city was uh, transformed. And, and the people began to, to do away with their idols. Uh, there was the uh, magnificent temple dedicated to Diana and there was the worship of Diana, the little idols that were made and the city was full of them. And so what happened was so many people were getting saved there in Ephesus. As you read Acts chapter 19, that the people be stopped buying those idols. They got rid of their idols and then they brought their magic books because there were so much occultic kinds of practices that was associated with that city and the people there and that false uh, kind of uh, worship to Diana that they burned their, their magic books. And so then the silversmiths got all upset and there was a big riot in town. And that's what the gospel did. Paul bringing the gospel to Ephesus turned the whole city upside down. The city, whole city was getting saved. So here we see, once again, the Lord's emphasis that you're not to have anything to do with the cultic kinds of things. And then verse 9, and, and for everyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood shall be upon him. Now, you and I can read this and think that's pretty harsh. And as we go through this, again, we're not under the law. Uh, we're comparing apples to oranges in a lot of ways as we go through this, um, the Old Testament reading, but we can make applications. But one thing that I do want you to keep in mind, that if there was adultery committed, which was punishment by death, if there was cursing your mother and father or you know, practicing false religion and, and Moloch worship and mediums and all that, it wasn't that the rocks just started flying. There was very specific guidelines that you see in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 17 particularly that states that there had to be at least two or three witnesses to state the fact that that person had committed that crime. So that was in place. But also we know that the parents, if a, a, a child was to curse their parents, dad didn't take them out and start stoning them. That didn't take place. What they would have to do is, and again, throughout uh, the interpretation of this throughout the years, is believe what the Lord and what is believed by the elders and the judges and the writings of ancient rabbinical studies and things like that, is that it would be uh, considered a threat towards your parents, something very, very serious. And then Deuteronomy also states that what you had to do as parents is take your child to the elders and to the judges of the city. So very, very rarely did anything like that take place where there was a stoning of children. But parents, I want to remind us of something that the scripture does say that our children are to obey our parents, that our children are to respect uh, our children, respect our parents and, uh, and to honor them. And, and we know that. But that's something that we need to teach them. And also the scripture says that we need to discipline our children as well, doesn't it? 
And I think that's a real key for us to keep in mind because I think in our society today, and I know that I sound a little bit like a broken record when I mention this, but we live in a society where Hollywood and entertainment and, and even the music industry is teaching our children to disrespect parents, to buck authority, to, you know, your parents are stupid and they make sitcoms out of that and it's funny and deceive your parents. Go ahead and lie to them so you can get what you want and sneak out at night and things like that. And we need to talk to our kids about those things, what it means to honor mom and dad, what it means to obey mom and dad, what it means to be submissive to them, how it honors the Lord. And as we constantly talk to them about it, you see, it's more than you irritated mom or dad or you're disobedient, but you're also being disobedient to a heavenly father who loves you. And so always dealing with their hearts. But parents also, as this discipline is being spelled out here in the Old Testament, you and I, of course, we are told, as Paul would say there in um, Ephesians chapter 6, that we are to admonish our children in the ways of the Lord, in the things of God. We are to discipline them. We are to raise them up in the things of God. But that does need to take place. And so don't, you know, just dismiss that, that responsibility has been given to us. It was Paul that would write to Timothy in Second Timothy chapter 3 that in the last days that children will be disobedient to parents. And I think that we see that, don't we? We see that characterized very often. And one of the things that you and I call to do in discipline is not easy, is to do that with our children. And I think that's lacking in our society today. And that's an opinion of mine. Just an opinion. And I see it with... Uh, in places I go and, and eating in restaurants or going to the store or wherever it might be, that I think that because as a society that we are just adopting the mentality of what entertainment or what movies or what our society says, when you can't really discipline your kids in this way, that I think a lot of parents have kind of given up on that. Don't you guys give up on that? But you be disciplining in the way that God spells out for you in a very loving but firm way. Talking to your children, dealing with their hearts. And that's one of the things that I always try to do, Sue and I, with Barbara and Luke and, and Rachel and David. And sit down and talk with them and show them Scripture and, and talk to them about the things of God and, and dealing with them in that way. So don't just dismiss disciplining children. It's very much an important part as parents, and, and uh, we need to be encouraged in that. And so verse 10, as we continue on, we read that the man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Now remember in John chapter 8, when the Pharisees brought the woman to Jesus, said, we caught her in a very act of adultery. And the law says that we should stone her. Where was the man? See, Leviticus here in chapter 10 says they both were to be brought. So there was some deception that was there. If she was caught in the very act, where was the man? So here was the situation. And of course, uh, we know the rest of the story, how Jesus would write on the ground and say, he who's without sin, you cast the first stone. So as we continue on here, we're going to see, uh, again, what was spelled out in chapter 18 concerning morality and sexual purity, that the punishment, when those laws are broken, uh, concerning sexual immorality, these are the punishments for that. So we'll quickly look at that. The man who lies with the father's wife has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. If a man lies, 
lies with his daughter-in-law. Both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed perversion. Their blood shall be upon them. If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. If a man marries a woman and her mother, it is wickedness, and they shall be burned with fire, both he and they, that there may be no wickedness among you. And so we see here again some... um, when it talks about uh, different things concerning uh, adultery um, and uh, incest and, and homosexuality, here we see in verse 14, if a man uh, uh, or verse 15, if a man mates with an animal, bestiality, he shall surely be put to death, and he shall kill the animal. If a woman approaches any animal and mates with it, he shall kill the woman and the animal, and they shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man takes his sister and his father's daughter or his mother's daughter and sees her nakedness and sees his nakedness, it is a wicked thing and they shall be cut off in the sight of their people. He has uncovered her sister's nakedness and he shall bear his guilt. And in verse 18, if a man lies with a woman during her sickness and uncovers her nakedness and has exposed her flow and she has uncovered the flow of her blood, both of them shall be cut off from their people. And he shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, nor of your father's sister, for that they would uncover his kin near of kin. They shall bear his guilt. And if a man lies with his uncle's wife, he has uncovered the uncle's nakedness. They shall bear their sin. They shall die childless. And if a man takes his brother's wife, it is an unclean thing. He has uncovered the brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. And so, again, the penalty for um, all these things that are given to us uh, that are there. But again, the Lord desires for us to be ones as Christians that we're living in sexual purity towards the Lord in a way that's pleasing towards Him. Verse 22, You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them that the land where I am bringing you to dwell may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the statutes of the nations which I am casting out before you, for they commit all these things and therefore I abhor them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land and I will give it to you to possess a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the peoples. So again, we have the... Um, we have the privilege of being able to live in holiness as well. You see, the privilege is that the Lord says, I've given you this land flowing with milk and honey. And I've given you this land, and you are people that are separated out, as we're going to see here. You've been separated from that uncleanness. You and I as Christians, we've been sanctified. And what does sanctified mean? It means that you're separated out. We're not to be like the world. We're not to, to act like the world. But we are separated unto the Lord to live for Him. And so you have the privilege of living in holiness. And one of the things I pray that you and I would never have the mindset is that holiness, sometimes when holiness, that word is mentioned, is it conjures up, you know, that that thinking that restriction and a boring life and I'm never going to have any fun. And maybe it's more towards younger people or younger Christians. I don't know. But the Lord says, I have a higher way for you to live and a better way for you to live, and that is the highway of holiness. To walk down that road. And it's it's a way to be free because sin destroys and it corrupts and it binds up and it ends up just bringing death. And that's what Paul would write to the Corinthian believers. He said to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And if you want to experience a life, as Jesus said, I came to give you life, and life abundantly. That is a life flowing with milk and honey as He gave them this land. Just speaking about blessing and joy and peace. 
and real wisdom and direction, then we walk the highway of holiness. And so that's what we are to do. And then, of course, Peter, in his epistle, in 1 Peter, he comes along and he says that we are a holy nation, aren't we? And then he borrows here from Leviticus chapter 20, and he says that you are not to give in to your former lust as once you did before you were believers in ignorance, but you are to be holy as the Lord is holy. He borrows from here in Leviticus um, in verse 7 of chapter 20. And so in that, we have the, the privilege of walking in holiness, and, and we also have the responsibility because we represent the Lord. And we are a witness with not only the words that we speak, but the way that we live our lives. And I pray for you and for me that we would be ones that I want people to see the reality of Jesus. And not only in the words that I speak, but in the way that I live my life. That, Lord, that I I want to be that, that ambassador unto you. That people see that I am living in holiness, wholesome. That I am being blessed. That, that I am happy. That I do have peace. That, that I have your wisdom and direction. And so, here God calling them because I have sanctified you as a nation. You're not to be like the other nations, like the Canaanites. We're not to be like the, the world. And so, verse um, 25, you shall therefore distinguish between clean animals and unclean, uh, between unclean birds and, and clean. And you shall not make yourselves abominable by beast or by bird or by any kind of living thing that creeps on the ground, which I have separated from you as unclean. So as one of my daughters say, we're not to be creepy. So uh, we're, we're to be ones that desire again uh, to please the Lord. And so verse 26, And you shall be holy to me, for I am the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. And man or a woman who is a medium or has a familiar spirit shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. Chapter 21. And the Lord spoke to Moses, Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, None shall defile himself for the dead among his people, except for his relatives who are nearest to him, his mother and his father, his son, his daughter, and his brother, also his virgin sister who is near to him, who has had no husband, for her he may defile himself." So as we get into this chapter here, this chapter is going to speak about the conduct for the priests. So again, to remind you that Peter says that we're a royal priesthood. Not only are we a holy nation in 1 Peter chapter 2, but we're a royal priesthood. It's the song of Revelation chapter 5, and that is we are a kingdom of priests unto the Lord. So you and I are considered New Testament priests uh, as you look at the New Testament writers inspired by the Spirit of God. And so here the priests, again, told that they're going to be the direct descendants of Aaron. This is their conduct to help them in ministering effectively to others in what God has called them to do. Now, as we go through this chapter here, and as we make application, remember keeping the back of your mind, these things that we're going to look at are going to help you and I to be able to minister to others effectively. And I hope that's our prayer. I don't know about you, but I want to be able to minister to others. And I want to look at this and say, okay, Lord, what do you have to say to me as we go through this? And first of all, we see that, again, the priests here were told that, that you're not to touch any dead bodies. You're not to touch the tombs or anything that is dead. Now, here the priests had some exception in that, and that was the nearest of kin. But in other words, what they were to do is to keep clear from that which is dead. And you and I, if we want to minister effectively to other people, you know what? you and I don't embrace those things that are dead. 
And again, Paul the Apostle would say to be spiritually minded is life and peace. To be carnally minded is death. It's just death. If you're only concerned about how much you get and the things of the world and carnally minded, then it just brings a deadness to your heart. Because you're not being sensitive to the things of the Spirit. And the peace of God begins to leave you and, and there's a deadness that begins to take place. I don't want to get involved or be touching those things which are dead. They will cause me and affect me uh, in, in being able to, to minister to others. So again, be careful in that and, and careful that, that we want to not be involved with that which is dead, that which is going to keep us from ministering to others. And the priests here, uh, they were to stay away from that which is dead. And then in verse 5, or verse 4, other, otherwise he shall not defile himself, being a chief man among his people to profane himself. Then verse 5, they shall not make any bald place on their heads. We're in big trouble, Jim, okay? <laughs> nor shall they shave the edges of their beards, nor make any... Cuttings in their flesh. Now, again, it's not saying that you can't, you know, have a bald head or anything like that. It's being associated here um, which, with that, which is associated with um, pagan religion. So we talked about in chapter 19, trimming the edge of the beards. And that's why you see Orthodox Jews that have, you know, really scraggly beards and they don't trim them because they take this literally. But what the Lord was saying, you're going into Canaanite, they would trim their beards and certain markings in their bodies and stuff that associated them with priests or leaders or being worshipers of false religions such as Baal or, or Moloch or anything like that. So stay clear of those things. And in verse 6, "...you shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God, for they offered offerings of the Lord made by fire and the bread of their God, therefore they shall be holy. They shall not take a wife who is a harlot or defiled woman, nor shall they take a woman divorced from her husband." For the priest is holy to his God. So now it talks about marriage here. And there's a practical side of this. If you're not going to marry a harlot, it's because the priesthood was to be the pure line of Aaron. And so there was a protection in this. You're not to marry a harlot. Um, and, and the high priest is going to be given uh, those instructions as well. And so we read in verse 8, Therefore you shall consecrate him, for he offers the bread of his God. You shall be holy for you. For I, the Lord who sanctify you, am holy. The daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by playing the harlot, she profanes her father. She shall be burned with fire. I know for me, and maybe as I go through this chapter, maybe I, I, I think about this and this. I want to make those spiritual applications that I know that the best thing that I can do for you guys is to have a wonderful marriage and a strong family. And as an overseer, as a pastor, as an elder, First Timothy chapter 3 tells me that um, I'm to have my children in submission with all reverence. And if a man can't uh, rule over his own house or an elder, how is he going to be able to take care of the church of God? And in that, Paul is not saying that you're going to have a perfect family. Because none of us will are perfect children. But the thing is, the best thing that I can do for you guys is to have a strong marriage. And have a strong family in the Lord. And I take very seriously in ministering to my family. And, and that's a priority. Because if I don't, and, and the family is falling apart, and my marriage is falling apart, 
then I can't come and minister to you guys. How can I give counsel to those who are having difficulties in their marriage if, if I am not taking that very seriously? And I am very blessed because I have a wonderful wife and a godly wife. She loves the Lord. And we have a wonderful, wonderful, blessed marriage in almost 19 years. And I love her so much. And I proclaim that publicly. That I love my wife and I love my kids. And my kids, they're, they're wonderful. They're not perfect. But they love the Lord as well. And so what I can do is, is I need to remember, because I love being here and ministering to, here, to you, and I think you guys, hopefully you know, that I take that very seriously in being here. But also that I need to take that time and minister to my family, not forget them and leave them behind. And maybe I'm saying this because I've seen that happen too often with ministry leaders and with pastors. That they get so engulfed and so... Um, you know, consume with the ministry and it's very, very easy to do. That all of a sudden their wife and their kids get left behind. And it gets to the point where they don't even want to come to church or want anything to do with the ministry. And I know it's by God's grace and by His love and working and that, you know, my kids love coming here. They love being here and we love being here. But the best thing I can do is have that strong marriage and strong family. The best thing I can do for my family is have a strong church. See, it goes both ways. And I pray for the marriages here. How God desires for us to have godly marriages and He desires to bless our marriage. And and we need to pray for the marriages that are here. And I know that there are some that come in and it's very, very difficult or going through difficult times presently, whatever it is. We're here to help you and encourage you in any way that we can encourage you in your family life and raising your children and give you godly advice to pray for you and to pray with you. And we want to continue to do that. So here we see that um, he's calling the priests to have their homes in order. And, and so verse 11, nor shall he go near any dead body nor defile himself for his father or his mother. He's talking about the high priest here in this text. Nor shall he go out of the sanctuary, nor profane the sanctuary of his God. For the consecration of the anointing oil of God is upon him. I am the Lord. In the high priest, when Nerissachin died, what the Lord is saying, you shall not go out of the sanctuary. You have the anointing oil. You shall go near any dead body, not even your father or your mother. He's not saying you can't grieve. But what he's saying to the high priest, and I hope I can articulate this enough because I think the Lord has ministered this to me. Again, the priests, they had exceptions, the regular priests, to where they could touch father and mother and, and spouse. The high priest wasn't to do that. There was an exception in that. But what the Lord is saying, certainly there's going to be grieving. Certainly there's going to be mourning. And we all go through that. Even Jesus, when Lazarus, remember he died? There in John's Gospel, chapter 11. And it said that Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible because of sadness. And certainly we're going to grieve in that. But he's saying, high priest here, remember this, that you're not going to mourn unnecessarily so to where you could misrepresent the Lord. Don't quit the ministry. You've been anointed with oil. And I know for me, when I minister to the families here that are going through loss, and I know it can be very difficult, and, and, and some of you have gone through loss in this last year and last month. And as you mourn, I want to represent God's goodness and His righteousness. 
But I also need to continue to to give that message when if I experience loss. Do you see what I'm saying? Here's an example. Um, when and I hope this makes sense. There was a call I got on. The sheriff's office called me, and um, it was a couple years ago. And, and one of the, the matter of fact gals who was a victim advocate there, her daughter got in a wreck down in the south part of the county, and she was with a friend. And the car actually rolled, and they both got seriously hurt. So they called me, and, and the um, the one who worked at the sheriff's office, um, her daughter. She was hurt badly, but she was in um, ICU, and um, she was going to, you know, make a recovery. And at that time, you know, they were still, it, it was obvious that she was going to pull through. The other one was very seriously hurt, and to where they were prepping her for surgery, to where I went in with the parents so they could say goodbye in case she didn't make it. That's how serious it was. And they were Christians, and, and it, it was a very, very difficult time and being with them and ministering to them and praying with them and, and, and giving them hope. And we're going to trust in the Lord, and, and we're going to look to Him, aren't we? So we go back to the other waiting room and there's where they went to a church down south, and the youth pastor had come up, and he's there in the waiting room going, Oh, God, how can this happen? How can you let this happen? And he's just going on and on. And, and upsetting everybody and the parents. And, you know, and I kind of tapped on the shoulder. I said, come here. And I took him out and had a little talk with him out in the hallway. I said, you need to wipe your nose, quit your sniveling, and go in there and minister God's righteousness. Do you see what I'm saying? I think that's what the Lord is saying here. High priest, don't mourn unnecessarily where you misrepresent God. You stay in the tabernacle. You've been anointed. And I know that, that you know, I've, I've talked with it with, with John and Gene and, and, and Dad and his health going, you know, downhill, that, that we want to honor him in his days, but we also want to honor the Lord because we have a living hope, folks, don't we? It's not a dead hope. It's a living hope that Peter would write. That he's going to go home and be with the Lord. I don't know when, but we trust him. And that's the message I always want to give to you guys. That we have a living hope. And yes, we'll grieve with you and we're going to mourn. And we're going to see sorrow and there's an emptiness and a hole when you lose somebody very close to you. Certainly there is. But we have that living hope that we always want to keep underlining, keep reminding people and to pray with them and encourage them in that way. Am Am I making sense in that? And God is good. And righteous and true are His judgments. And Lord, I may not understand the losses I go through or the difficulties, but I can trust you with my life. And I trust you with those who belong to you. Because you are a holy God and a good God. And you love us so much. And to know that we're all going to be home to be with him. And when we do, we're all going to say together, righteous and true are your judgments. And rejoice together. So here he, he's given this to these guys in verse 13. He shall take a wife in her virginity, a widow or divorced woman or a defiled woman or a harlot. These he shall not marry, but he shall take a virgin of his own people as wife. Nor shall he profane his uh, posterity among his people, for I, the Lord, sanctify him. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, No man of your descendants in succeeding generation who has any defect may approach to offer the bread of his God. 
For any man who has a defect shall not approach a man blind or lame, who has a marred face or any limb too long, a man who has a broken foot or a broken hand, or is a hunchback or a dwarf, or a man who has a defect or eye or, or eczema or a scab or is a eunuch. Verse 21, No man of the descendants of Aaron the priest who has a defect shall come near to offer the offerings made by fire to the Lord. He has a defect. He shall not come near to offering the bread of his God. He may eat of the bread of his God, both the most holy and the holy, only he shall not go near the veil nor approach the altar because he has a defect, lest he profane my sanctuaries, for I, the Lord, sanctify them. And Moses told it to Aaron and his sons and to all the children of Israel. Now, in this last section here, this is what the Lord is saying. For you priests, ministering there to tabernacle, if you have these defects, you're not going to be able to offer the bread of the Lord. You're going to eat of it, is what he says. In other words, you're still going to be provided for you're still a priest in that sense where you're provided for. You're still a descendant of Aaron. But here was some practical reasons. Don't think that the Lord is prejudiced towards those who have physical defects. Please don't think that. The Lord has this, this practical guideline given here because it was hard work to be a priest. You were a butcher. You did the sacrifices. We read about all that. You were on your feet all day. So if you couldn't do that, if you couldn't um, see, if you were blind, if you uh, had a broken foot or a broken hand, you couldn't do the work of the ministry. But again, as we look at this, we can make application. And we can see those things that keep us from ministering to others very effectively. And again, I don't know about you, but I want to be used of the Lord. So he's not condemning of those who have these physical infirmities. He's given just honest evaluation to be effective as a priest. You've got to you know, have these physical abilities. But spiritually, you and I, you see, as he says, if you're blind, you're not going to be able to, to offer the bread. You're going to be provided for. You're still, you know, uh, of the children of Israel, but you're just not going to be able to do that ministry practically in the service to the Lord. But spiritually, you see, we're not going to be effective to ministering to others if we're blind spiritually. You see? And we need to have our eyes opened. And to pray, Lord, you open my eyes as we go through your word. As we look at your patterns, as we look at your commandments, as we look at what you desire for us to see every time that, Lord, you help me to see. And that's what we pray when we come and study God's Word. I want to see your truth. I want to apply those things in my life. And, and Lord, help me not to be blinded because Satan, he has blinded the eyes of those who don't believe, but he desires to come and bring a blindness to you and to me if he can. So we must be able to, first of all, be able to see. And you pray, Lord, every time you have a devotion, every time we come here, Lord, open up my eyes to see spiritual eyes. Lord, that I may be able to see what it is that you desire for me to see. The truth that you've given to me to be able to apply it in my life. Secondly, if a man is lame or his limb is too long, is what is described here, that is if he walks with the limp, um, then you're going to be limited in your service to the Lord. In other words, the Lord desires for us to walk straight with him. To be walking with the Lord. And if you want to be used of the Lord in the way that He wants to, you need to be walking with Him and straight with Him. And if there's anything in your life that's causing you to limp spiritually, then we need to give it to Him. And we need to confess it. And we need to repent from it and turn to Him. So, we don't want to be walking in the ways of the world. 
We want to be walking with the Lord and we want to be walking straight on the straight and narrow as the old hymn says in our service to the Lord. And so allow the Lord to search your heart. Lord, again, am I seeing things spiritually? Am I walking straight with you? And Lord, if not, here's what you've declared to me and this is what you've convicted me of and I need to give it to you. Thirdly, we see if a, mar, if a man has a marred face. I think the King James, if you have a King James in your lap, uh, it says a flat nose. You must be able to smell. You must be able to be discerning. And if you want to minister to others, you've got to be spiritually discerning. Paul the Apostle talked a whole lot about that in the New Testament. I can't help but what he was talking to the Ephesian elders. And he said to them, listen, after my departure, there's going to be savage wolves that are going to come in, not sparing the flock. And there are going to be men speaking corrupt things and they're going to be drawing away disciples after themselves. You need to be discerning is what he's saying to them. And that's important. You and I need to be discerning of those who will come along and be deceptive or false or manipulate. And we need to be able to discern those things that will lead us astray or will deceive us or whatever it might be. And, and it takes a lot of prayer and it takes a lot of knowing God's Word, I believe. But to be discerning, especially in the days in which we're living. Because there is a lot of deception out there. And, and we have read that Paul said in the last days that there will be impostors and evil men that are going to grow worse and worse in the day in which we're living in. So you and I need to be discerning. And, and we need to be ones that are looking for the Lord to give us that discernment. Fourthly, a broken footed. That is, if you can't stand on your own feet. That is, you need to be standing on firmly on the rock, Jesus Christ. Any of us that desire to minister, we need to be relying on the Lord, standing on the rock, Jesus Christ, don't we? So set your feet upon Him, firmly established in, in your faith and in your belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Fifthly, if you have a broken hand, you're going to be limited to your service to the Lord. That is, to reach out practically to others. And you and I are called to do that. To reach out in ways that we can help others out and, and minister to them. And, and uh, ministering, doing simple things. And uh, doing ministry with their hands, whether it's here at the church and, and working in the nursery, cleaning the church, you know, mowing the lawns in the summertime, but also reaching out in other ways that we can bless other people. Sixthly, he says, if you're a hunchback, that is, you have no backbone. If you're easily intimidated, not standing firm again in what God has called you to do in the truth of His Word. There are too many Christians, I believe today, that don't have a backbone. And they want to compromise God's Word and they want to compromise God's way and they want to hem and haw and well. They don't want to upset them. I, I, you know, we're to speak the truth, speak it in love. Certainly we are. But today it takes a backbone really, to be effective in ministering God's truth to others. If you're a dwarf, he says here, that is, stunted growth. You and I, if we want to be effective in ministering to others, we need to be growing in the Lord. You can't just be, you know, plateau. Well, I don't need to be growing. I've been a Christian. I've been going to church for so long. Whatever. You keep growing in the Lord and it's a constant growth in growing in the Lord. And that's what you and I are to be doing. Continuing growing, maturing in the things of God. He says if you have a scab, if you, or 
you know, scurvy if you have a King James. If you have, um, uh, SM, um, if you have, uh, uh, yeah, if you have um, scab here, it's um, it's. What am I trying to say? I got all mixed up. Yeah, eczema. So if you have scratchy skin um, and then the scab is maybe running sores, thank you for that. Get me out of that. Um, scurvy. In other words, you, you know, if you got eczema um, and you got scratchy skin and it's flaky, don't be flaky like I am right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. Scab. In other words, you know, crusty. I think you need to be one that you get along with people. You can't be irritating to people. You can't be crusty all the time. You just need to be one that's lovingly, you know, ministering to the body of Christ. There are some Christians that I've known that it seems like they're always in conflict, always in conflict, always in conflict with other believers. And we want to be refreshing to them. And here we see, lastly, um, as he says, um, a eunuch, that is, you're not reproducing. You and I need to be able to reproduce God's word and God's ways and God's love to other people that we reproduce that to others that we can minister to them effectively. So I hope this is a help and and guideline. Give us some things to think about and chew on to minister to others in our conduct. And and again, I don't know about you, but I want to be able to do that. And Lord, as you call us to holiness, how I can be holy. And Lord, how you desire for me to be holy and how I can minister to others. And so, Father, we thank you that as we look at this portion of Scripture that Lord, we can make application. And Father, I do pray that you would help us in in ministering to others effectively. And Lord, be growing in you um, to be established in your word and in your truth. Lord, to be ones that that we, Lord, just desire to have discernment and be able to to see spiritually, uh, to be able to be strong spiritually. And Lord, that we would just rely on you to continue to grow us in these areas. Father, I pray that you just bless us as we spend a few minutes worshiping you. And Lord, just setting our focus on you. And if there's any areas that, that perhaps that, that you're speaking to us in, Lord, that Lord, that we need to just give to you and just receive your love and receive your forgiveness and Lord, correction, whatever it might be, knowing that you want the very best for us. And Lord, do you want us to be ones that that are light and salt to others? So Father, just continue to minister to our hearts as right now we just continue to worship you. And we thank you for your instructions. And we thank you for your love and your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.